welcome to an episode of Impactful Conversations, a platform to educate and inspire. My name is Tafadzan Lohu, and thank you for tuning in for the show. On this show, I interview and speak to individuals who are making a difference in their world, individuals who have a different way of thinking and are forming as leaders in their respective fields. I hope that you enjoy the episode, and I'd love to hear some of your feedback after listening to the episode, either by writing us a review or by heading over to the website, impactfulconversations.co.za, and heading over to the Contact Us section. Anyway, wherever you're listening to this, I hope you sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 17 of Impactful Conversations, which is a platform to educate and inspire. Today, I'm joined by Danielle Weekly. Uh, she's the Editor-in-Chief of Women's Health, Men's Health, and Go Hustle. She has over 20 years of experience in the media industry, um, initially working as a writer and editor. Um, she now oversees strategy, marketing, and creative content for print, digital social media, influencers, and live events for two wellness and fitness brands, as well as female-focused empowerment and, on, and an entrepreneurial platform as well. It's a uh, yeah, it's a privilege to have you here, Danielle, uh, in the virtual room today and, and with all the listeners. We, we really are honored to have you here with us. How are you doing today? Thanks, Tafa. It's really, really good to be here with you virtually. Awesome. awesome. Yeah, virtually. We don't, we don't have a choice right now. So as good as it gets. It's as good as it gets, right? So, Danielle, as we sort of typically start the show, um, we want to get to know you a little bit better. Um you know, so quick in a quick summary, you know, just tell us, you know, who are you? Um, well, we we probably know who you are, but um, where are you from um, and what are you passionate about? So I am Danielle Weekly. I was born in Joburg, but I currently live in Cape Town. We moved about five years ago, actually, when I picked up the position of women's health editor. So mm. Gracia was a magazine that I'd been with before then, and that was always Joburg-based. I am a dyed-in-the-wool Joburg girl. I never thought I would leave that glorious city. And here <laughs> I am in the shadow of the mountain, wondering what on earth I was thinking. Um, I've always loved magazines. I've loved reading my whole life. I've, I have a passion for words. Um, I don't know that I ever really thought that I would end up in magazines, because I'm not sure who ever really thinks that they would, but I think I have the best job in the world. Mm, mm, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm a, I'm also, I'm, I'm a Jovic boy at heart, so I, I can follow. I, see you. <laughs> I, I spent four years in Cape Town, and I was like, oh, this is nice, but I don't think I'll ever live here, but I wouldn't be shocked if things change somewhere. No, that's it. I mean, I never thought I would leave the energy of Joburg, and now I'm so namaste at that mountain, <laughs> and those good vibes. <laughs> yeah. Hey. <laughs> so Danielle, it up on you. I, I want us to talk a little bit about, you know, your your journey um through your career. So we, we're gonna dive straight into it then, you know, we we're gonna turn it down a little bit later, but let's dive straight into your career, right? You you actually started your career out in, in writing. Um you know, I, I wanna know firstly, you know, how did that evolve from writing to, you know, strategy marketing and, and creative content? I mean, I think a lot of that is really just time in the game. So for me, being a writer was the start. And I guess at the beginning of your career, you haven't really got to the point where you know enough about the industry that you're in to kind of see where it's going to lead. 
So I loved writing. I desperately wanted to be a journalist, but I knew very early on that I wanted to be a lifestyle journalist. So at that stage, that would have meant working in magazines. It was far more of the content that I enjoyed. And I enjoyed working with commercial clients as well as um, working with interview subjects and all those sort of things. So it was kind of a natural progression for me starting as a writer and moving my way up through magazines to eventually get to the point where that role has evolved so much more beyond writing into creating things that are more than just what you put on the page. So it always was about content for me, but content has become something that means a lot of different things across a lot of different platforms these days, Mm -hmm. Um, right down into experiential content and creating events to content like this, where you're on a virtual live conversation and I guess that's what really thrilled me about it as I got further in my career and you kind of get good at something and you want to move on to the next thing. And I sort of naturally then ended up getting more involved in creative strategy and those sort of things. Mm, mm. So I, I find that so interesting. Right. And I think, you know, you're quite right. That, you know, I think content is takes place in, in many forms and it is constantly evolving as well, which I think, mm. Makes it an incredibly exciting space as well to to be in. Let's let's take it let's take it a little bit back. So you actually studied political science. Um, as yeah. I, so I'm curious. Even so, way back then. So you know, way how did we get you? <laughs> how did we get to media? Right. So how did we get from political science to media? So, I'm so curious. I. I always, um, I was always very, I thought of myself as being very liberal when I was in high school Mm. and I wanted to change the world. And I thought that the way that I would be able to do that would be by writing for newspapers and telling people stories. But I always thought of it as a news position. And at the time when I finished, um, I finished school in the early 1990s and um, I desperately wanted to go to Grahamstown and study to be a journalist. And my strict Lebanese father took one Mm. look at me and said, my dear, you are not leaving home to go and study somewhere else. You may pick from close by where you will still be under my roof. And um and that led me to WITS, the University of the Witwatersrand, and I ended up studying politics. And the thinking behind me studying politics then was that I felt like it would be an opportunity to still get into news media. Okay. Um, it, was, it was an amazing time to be at WITS, and it was certainly an amazing time to be studying politics in this country, particularly because I started university in 1993. So mm. it, was, it was a really, really interesting, uncomfortable time to be a student there was a huge youth movement that's obviously where all the radicalism was happening and I was in the heart of all of this Mm. and so I left university with my political science degree thinking I was going to be a very very um, strict news journalist and no sooner had I started doing that that I realized actually it was much more fun writing about lifestyle things and um, (laughs) I slowly my tone is much more conversational and I think it always has been and um, I quite quickly moved from news into writing for lifestyle content for the newspapers. And that's kind of where my career really started. Mm. And I yeah. never looked back. And that's, that's such an interesting, I love, I love the part where you talked about, you know, telling people stories. 
um, and you know communicating that as as an important message um, for people to 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 take in and, and to read. Um, but I also think you know what you learned probably gives you a lot of context um, in the industry that you're in currently as well. Um, and you know what you study does does definitely I think give you a lot of context. Um, that is absolutely necessary, you know, to to be in that industry as well. Let's let's talk into. I want to dive a little bit into uh, Grazia magazine, right? So, yes. at the time that you're part of the launch of it, and you know, the market, you know, was and still is, you know, fiercely competitive. Um, I want to understand, you know, firstly, what made you take the step, um, and secondly, you know, why do you think it was so successful as well? So, I mean, this is also bearing in mind now that we're talking about the girl who thought she was going to be a hard news journalist who is now launching a weekly fashion glossy. So we've yeah. come a long way. <laughs> but what I what I loved, loved, loved about Ratia, and I think it was something that I found was particularly unusual in women's magazines at the time. And mm. it's quite hard to imagine that now because I think a lot of, women's magazines have become a lot smarter. I mean, smart is such a patronizing thing to say, but not smarter, but there's a lot more content outside of maybe just fashion and beauty or lifestyle features and things like that. And what Grazia did really brilliantly at the time, their ethos was news with shoes. So the idea was that you got a very glossy package, but very smart, quite hard-hitting content in amongst all of that. So along with the celebrity and the fashion and the beauty there were also very strong female-led stories, and I loved that idea. So I'd always been a big fan of the magazine, um, reading it over the years. Um, when it launched in the UK, I adored it. And it was one of those like great traditions of, like, if you went overseas, the first thing I did was pick up a Grazia, uh, pick up a Grazia magazine at Heathrow Airport as soon as I landed. Mm. So when I knew that they were launching in South Africa, I... I was honestly, probably in magazines, I felt like I was their biggest fan. And mm. it was the perfect, it was the perfect job for me at the perfect time. Um, it was a fiercely competitive market at that stage in terms of weekly magazines. Um, there was Heat, and Drum, and a whole lot of those, that still, many of which still exist today. But there was yeah. nothing I felt that spoke to a reader like me that wanted a more glossy package, but still wanted a weekly fix. And bearing yeah. in mind that this all came before Instagram, which now makes me sound like I'm 107, but you weren't getting that fix, that immediacy of fashion and celebrity yeah. fix that you now get on social media. Yes. So what Grasset did was package that all up and give it to you weekly. So you didn't have mm. to wait for a monthly magazine. You didn't have to kind of try and find it on the back page of the Sunday Times. Mm. It was this beautiful package with newsy celebrity and fashion content. So yeah. I... I was so up for that challenge, and I loved that magazine. It was, I mean, if 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 we really talk about it, right? It was at the, you know, at the time it was innovational, right? It was it was groundbreaking to, it was. to it, actually do that because that wasn't that wasn't it was amazing. They, and I loved it, and it was so amazing to be part of something new. Um, it was the first time in my career, and in fact, actually, the only time now that I think about it, it's the only time that I as an editor, worked on a launch magazine. So being the person to send it off on its first yeah. flight. Yeah. So setting up an entire magazine with my own team, um, we were dealing very closely with the Grazia International team who were based in Milan. 
So the mm-hmm. magazine launched at Milan Fashion Week with I- Kippy there with all the celebs, which was hilarious. Um, they, they South African import to Milan Fashion Week. Um, but it was incredible. Like you were part of this world that was just, I mean, amazing to, you know, they were so excited to finally have an African, um, an African publication that was part of their global books as well. So there was this amazing, very dynamic energy between the, the brands. It was an incredible mm-hmm. time to be on a magazine like that. Mm. And so, you know, as I understand the magazine, it's, it's aimed, you know, celebrating, you know, female-led stories, right? And I want to ask you, you know, how important do you think that is, you know, to provide that platform? And, you know, as as time has gone on, you know, I, I know that has evolved um, in its manifestation, but I want to actually address the foundation of it. You know, how important do you think that need is for us to provide that platform? I think it is absolutely enormous um it's imperative that we tell those kind of stories i think it it is so important to be able to show young girls or, or anybody really um an opportunity to hold a mirror up and say there are women out there doing amazing things and you can be just like that like mm. to to be able to tell women's stories um that give hope inspiration that I think women have got a far more emotional take on their journeys, so they're much more real and much more authentic in in the retelling of their stuff. Um, so they talk about the hardships. It's not always like a big bravado success story, you know, like where the, the negatives get glossed over. Yeah. I think women are incredibly real about the struggles that they have gone through to get where they are. And that yeah. is the part that I love about telling those stories. You can grow up feeling like, you can do anything in the world, but to be able to see other women who have done it and are doing it just gives you so much power to to grab the other horns and go for it. And that yeah. for me, media is is doing in that space. Mm. It's telling those incredible stories, and mm. it's the part that I love the most. You know, the celebrity side of it actually was quite an interesting take for me, and it's something that, looking back on it in my career, has changed an enormous amount over time and mm. something that I'm probably not that proud of now that I look back on it, but international celebrity stories in those tap, you know, in those celebrity news things were yeah. often the point of view was to tell a story where like, Oh, celebrities are just like us. So they also feel heartbroken. They break up with their boyfriends. They fight with their friends. They also go on a big bender of a night out and they get drunk and fall out of the cab and do stupid things and whatever. And yeah. I look back on those things now, and I can't believe that often those magazines were leading with those stories. It was like the, the sort of heartbroken star story, which yes. I think is so dated now. Like, you don't see those things anymore. Um, those those stories are so positive now. And it's not to say that they aren't going on, but everyone has chosen to focus on how, like, it's bloody hard work being those people out there in the world. And um, it's not that they're infallible, but they have got amazing journeys to to tell. and you want to celebrate that and not find the one little time that their boyfriend dumped them and they're falling apart at the seams. And you're like, oh, look, oh, look, they're just like us. Their boyfriend forced to dump them. <laughs> um, and that point of view has changed a lot over the last 15 years. And yeah. I think that social media has a lot to answer for there because those those same prominent, whether they're celebrities or now influencers or whoever they might be, have mm. been able to take, they've been able to take ownership of their own narrative by their own channels and direct the conversations for better or for worse. I think sometimes they also manipulate them to serve themselves. 
Um, It it means that you you talk about the stories that you want to talk about. Mm. And I think you, you know, you really touch on the the power of, you know, the example, right? The power of of one story, um, which I think is, is actually so incredible, you know, so when, when a young girl does look at, um, you know, somebody else who has, you know, succeeded in that field, it does, you know, change the perspective to say that this is possible and that, you know, exactly. I can do as well. Um, and I think, you know, that's where we really talk about representation and that's where we really talk about actually amplifying those stories as well and getting them, 100%. getting them out, you know, far and wide, which is absolutely critical and important. Um, you know, I want to talk about a little bit about, you know, so you, you were, you know, as being the launch editor in chief, as it were. Um, when Grazia, when Grazia actually went on, right? I want to juxtapose that, um, with where you are now, right? Um, where I'm now talking particularly sort of, you know, women's health, men's health are sort of established mm-hmm. magazines. Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll talk a little bit about Go Hustle in a second, right? Sure. Um, I want to juxtapose that between, you know, so being the launch editor in chief of something which did not exist, right? Mm-hmm. And, you're coming into into some you're actually trying to create something and build something and juxtaposing that with being editor-in-chief of you know something which does exist and does have a brand I actually just want to you know understand from you you know the learnings um particularly from those sort of two two streams what do you think you know what what have you learned in that in those two processes so i think for me being the launch editor on grazia made for a very operational role. Um, mm. It was because it was the start of everything. It was it was new for all of us, and I really felt a responsibility to my team to to be able to hold space for them in that way. So to have their backs on what was always a very tight deadline that none of them were used to. We were suddenly producing content um, for a weekly deadline when all of the team had come from monthlies. Yeah. Um, and it made for it being, I mean, the best way to describe it is operational. So where I was involved in Grazia on the smallest little detail um, and just keeping that team together. And my main responsibility, I always felt in the beginning with that um, magazine, was to allow all of them the chance to grow, but hold them all together because I knew it was going to be tough. Mm. The the real privilege in stepping onto an established brand um, and quite a mature brand and one that already has quite a senior team that's quite au fait with the content is that you, as the editor, get a chance to be so much more creative about what you're doing because mm. that is a well-oiled machine. You roll into something that is already set up and running. So you mm. don't need to worry about the nuts and bolts of making sure that every last little thing of the basic product is is running smoothly because it's already running. So it gave me the opportunity on women's health to think outside of print and outside of traditional media. And Mm. it gave us the chance to launch projects like Fit Not Out and Chase the Sun. And we launched bookazines and pay gates. And we created a whole community of readers outside of just print. And I don't think that on a launch that that is Mm -hmm. as possible to do because you kind of just need to get the basics right when you're doing yeah. a launch. Yes, yeah, that's actually so, actually so insightful and so interesting, you know, because you you actually have a bit more time, you know, to actually look at the strategy 
as it were, and, and actually say, okay, but which direction is the ship going? Because what the ship, now? Yes. Ship, the ship is moving, right? Um, whereas launching, you're kind of building the ship as you go you're along. You're building the ship. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, let's make sure the ship doesn't sink, right? That's, That's exactly I, it. So you it, can't I also think, be pushing the ship in a direction when it hasn't, like, it's not strong enough to go yet. Exactly. I think, you know, that, that, that also, you know, touches into the entrepreneurial side of things, you know, where um, in an entrepreneurial sense, you know, when you're starting a business or you're starting an initiative or you're starting anything, the initial pains, as it were, um, of actually getting that ship, you know, steady. And, you know, every <laughs> every second day or so, it feels like the ship is sinking because, you know, yeah. there's that part that you forgot about or that you did last week, but you didn't do this week. So, that's incredibly that's incredibly interesting. Let's talk go hustle. Right. So yeah, you know, that's a current venture of yours which I know that you're you're quite passionate about. Um, you know, and I think it, it, it really does have a, an extremely important role to play. Um firstly, you know, for somebody who doesn't know what Go Hustle is, um not me, because I <laughs> <laughs> for quite I'm some ready time. For you. Um <laughs> But for somebody who doesn't know who go what what Go Hustle is all about, you know what what would you describe it as, and you know what would you say its its purpose is? So we launched Go Hustle. It's a it's a digitally led platform supported by social media and newsletters and events um, created specifically to empower and inspire young women in their careers and their entrepreneurial journeys. I found working on women's health that we focused so much in that empowerment space, but from a very body positive, emotional wellness point of view, and not necessarily always from a financial and careers point of view. And when Mm. I really looked into it and I saw the number of young girls who were trying to get into a very crowded, very competitive marketplace, and just they just didn't have the connections or the network. They didn't necessarily have the confidence or skills to make that first break. Or if they were in a job and desperately wanting to kind of get going with their side hustle, they weren't sure where to turn. Because I think the younger you are, the less of a network you have. And mm. even for me in my own career when I was young, you know, we were fortunate enough then that the world was a lot more analog. So I had the opportunity to, in my early career, be out and about a lot because you were interviewing people face to face. I was going to launches. I was being invited to things in real life. Now your, your whole network sits online and there's a layer between that. That means that when you want to access them, you're not really sure how. And I hated that feeling that I felt like those young girls had that they weren't able to move past that. Mm. And we really wanted to create a safe female space for that. Cause I thought like the dudes, kind of had that you know if you went to like a something after work it was often a whole lot of guys and it didn't really feel like your space Mm. Um, so we wanted to create a millennial female space for those kind of conversations and Mm. as an opportunity also to shine the light on amazing um, particularly black female entrepreneurs in this country who were doing such cool things and could offer so much life advice to these a younger generation um, yeah. on how they did it, and that's mm. what we wanted to create. Mm. I, I think it's, I think it's exceptional. 
I, I really, Karen, really... what you're doing with your impactful conversations. You know, <laughs> it's giving people access to exactly. other interesting people. Exactly. Absolutely. And I think there is there's such a need for that, right, in in, in society. Um, and I, I mean, I absolutely love what 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 Go Hustle is 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 doing, and I absolutely love the, Good. the <laughs> that that it you know that it emboldens. I think that it transfers as well um, into the people that engage with it. Um, so you know, for anybody who doesn't know about it, um, you know, where can they find out more? I know that you know website. Oh uh, yes, GoHustle.co.za is the website, and you can follow us on Instagram, which is um, GoHustle underscore ZA. Um, those are the two best spots. We've actually also launched a podcast, but you'll find those uh, episodes on the website as well. And we're awesome. just starting. It was. It's. It's just. A, it's a beautiful, safe space to be inspired. Absolutely. I, I think it's. I think it's exceptional. Absolutely exceptional. All right. Let's let's uh, let's slow down a little bit. We we started off yeah. fairly. <laughs> we dived right into your life story. And... <laughs> All good. <laughs> so. You know, let's let's turn it down a little bit. I I I want us to get to know you a little bit better, um, and you know, for you to take us a little bit, you know, on on your sort of typical daily journey. So, you know, what is a typical day in Danielle Weekly's life like? Um, I think specifically, let's maybe let's actually divide that into two parts. So, I actually want to know pre pre global pandemic, what was that like? Thank goodness, because. <laughs> It's a very boring day these days. <laughs> and also, I want to talk about the boring day as well. Good deal. I'll give you both. Yeah, also. So what's a typical day in your life like? Typical day pre-lockdown, work-from-home vibes, um, was generally spent. So Media24 has got a big head office um, at the foreshore in Cape Town. Yes. And my team and I are all based there. So... As the editor of Women's Health, you can't get away from not at, from not exercising. So my day starts with uh, yoga at the Yoga Life studio, awesome. which is near the office. Um, I've got two daughters. They're 12 and 15, so they need to be hustled to school. They're 12 and 15, so they're not getting up in the morning. That's always a joy. And then the rest of my day is spent at the office. We generally, if it's a deadline week, it's very much focused on print and signing off the magazine. But... If it's not a deadline week, it's a little bit of everything then. There's a lot of social strategy going on. It's a lot of um, advertiser client meetings. We run a lot of events for women's health as a brand. So there's a lot of work around event planning. We shoot a lot of workout videos. So there's often things like that going on. Um, Mm. We obviously have the shoots for the magazine. So chatting to sort of lining up celebrity cover stars and fashion shoots and beauty shoots and all those kind of things. Um, And my first editor did always say to me that no job is um, all the fun part without any of the schlep. And I've just given you all the fun bits, but there is also a lot of schlep to all of that. There's a lot of boring admin stuff in amongst all of those things, (laughs) despite the highlights package. Um, Yeah. And I feel like probably now that I'm in the middle of a pandemic, it's more of the admin schlep and less of the fun stuff. I think the best, best part about working on a media brand is working with an amazing team of creators. The Mm -hmm. energy that you get from working in a team like that is impossible to replicate, A, on your own, and B, virtually. As Mm -hmm. much as we all stay connected with one another, 
um, it's not the same as the energy of an office space where things are buzzing um, yeah. and you're bouncing ideas around naturally without having to send a message to a WhatsApp group that then becomes a Zoom call that then becomes a follow-up email. I mean, that just sucks the joy out of any idea that you could have had. You know? <laughs> it, it definitely is a massive challenge, right, With in, in the creative space. And I think actually... I think it was actually your, I saw an Instagram post, I think it was actually your Instagram post where, you know, you were saying that you really miss the sort of interaction with people and the event as well. And in that sort of sense, you know, it's very, very different right now. Um, you it's know, so different. So it, it, it's definitely a, a, a point that we, we just have to, to hope and, and pray that it, you know, it doesn't last too long. Keep moving forward. Exactly. Just one <laughs> step in front of the other. Exactly. Yeah. So you you mentioned yeah. that you know your 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 daughters um struggle to wake up in the morning. I'm I'm curious about you. Are you a morning? Oh. Or <laughs> <laughs> two chicks of mine get it from me. <laughs> <laughs> I I forced myself to be a morning person because otherwise I don't get to exercise. So yeah. I I. I do yoga early in the morning. Um, it's a six o'clock in the morning class. Um, so I do get up early to go and exercise. But my choice would never, ever, ever be to get up that early. <laughs> ever. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting that you've actually managed to, to almost teach yourself to to. It's, to just, it's just a discipline. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I hate saying that because that makes me sound like the 5am club, like I've just channeled <laughs> Robin Sharma into like this amazing Zen life, which is not in fact the case at all, but there is otherwise no time to do it, otherwise, you know, it has to be done, it needs to be scheduled in and done. Those yeah. are my, when people always ask, if you're the editor of Women's Health, people are always going to ask you what your hacks are for ensuring that you exercise. And that is always my hack. It's like mm. schedule it into your day and get it done early so you don't have to think about it again because otherwise there's always a reason not to. Um, if you're trying to put it into your lunch hour or after work or whatever, there are a million other things to do or life is busy, work is busy. I find if I do that first thing in the day, it sets me up for such a great day. Yeah, I mean, I'm exactly the same. Literally, first thing I do is exercise yeah. every single day and make sure – because you, you just get that out the way. Like, okay. It's done. Exactly. You're like, cool. Okay. I, I can move on now. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Okay. So let's, let's move into, into fitness, fashion, um, health, wellness, that sort of basket, right? Let's just check. Yes. Four words. My in, basket. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> words that basket, right? Um, but actually, I want to, I want to touch on the mental health aspect um, mm -hmm. and the role that the industry plays, you know, within that. Um, and particularly, you know, magazines like Women's Health, Men's Health, you know, what what role do you think they, they positively play um, in that space at the moment? Um, and I guess I also want to juxtapose that with a, an honest sort of reflection of, you know, the journey over the years, you know, how has that improved over the years from, you know, where not necessarily just men's health, women's health, but actually the industry as a whole um, mm -hmm. has moved um, in that space as well? I mean, I think the answer is the same for both questions. And that is mostly that 
the role I think we've played, but society has also allowed us to do it, is to destigmatize mental health. Yeah. You know, the fact is there's there's never been more conversations happening around mental health. And I think that that is fantastic because mm. the more we speak about it, the more you don't feel like you're alone in this, the more you don't feel stigmatized by it, the more you feel like you can tell your friends and family that you're not feeling up to something, the more mm. that you don't feel that this is something to be ashamed of or something that genuinely is not a medical condition. It absolutely is. So all of the trauma and stigma around the silencing of mental health, I think, has changed a lot over the last couple of years. And it has allowed titles like ours that are reputable and expert-led with things like that to be able to speak about it more freely and have people read it. And especially, I think, in the male mental health space, mm-hmm. I think to, to really kind of read a piece like that and think, it's okay to feel like this mm. and it's okay to talk about it and it's okay to ask for help. Mm. Mm. And if nothing else, this pandemic has allowed us the opportunity to talk about things like that more so than we have ever spoken about them before, because for the first time, everybody, whether you like have never experienced any level of stress or anxiety to this degree, you're experiencing this year. And it gives some sort of inkling into how people who suffer from conditions like that, feel all the time and there's a level of kindness and acceptance that I think will come out of this that will be most welcome Mm. Mm. and you know do you think the industry's approach should be different for male and female um, you know users do you think uh, in the mental health space especially I don't think so, but I do believe that women are much easier at talking about their feelings. Mm. Um, And it's a grand generalization, but I do think women are more open to discussing their feelings or not necessarily feeling particularly ashamed of feeling like that. And potentially they still do, but there's less so of those feelings of like, I I need that, that sort of socially conscientized thing of like, I need to be a man. I can't cry. I can't show my feelings. I can't be feeling like this. Um, I think women are allow each other the space to be emotional together and male friendships often don't have that outlet. Yes. And you certainly don't feel like you maybe want to go and see a therapist or something like that. So I think it's more difficult for men to talk about their feelings um, mm-hmm. traditionally. And mm-hmm. that's it's, it's so it's not the approach that is different, but the fact that I do think that for men's health, it gets a little bit trickier for them to address those subjects because they need to address them so desperately yes yeah i actually yeah i that i find that really insightful and i think you know de sort of destigmatizing you know talking about it and you know not making it a, a shameful thing for people to talk about Absolutely. Is something that has been an important development i think in society and i think you know your your industry has really played an, an incredibly important role um, within that as well. Um, I'm going to ask you a question that you expect to, uh, to be asked because you've actually mentioned it. <laughs> <laughs> in, terms, in terms of health and wellness, right? So what practical tips do you have? Oh, <laughs> with pleasure. 
<laughs> I think um, I think the one thing that I always get asked, other than uh, how I fit time hack things into my day, is what um, what is the best exercise? Yeah. And my answer is always like, what is the best exercise? Is the one you enjoy. If you don't enjoy doing something, don't do it. If you think you should be running because you should be running, but you don't enjoy running, just don't run. Um, it took me a long time to mm. figure out that the thing that I enjoyed most was yoga. A really a long time, like 20 years, a long time. Mm. Um, and now it's not, it's not a, it, it doesn't feel like a, a schlep or a chore or something that I need to do because I enjoy doing it. Mm. Um, so it is about finding something that you, it's about moving your body. It doesn't need to be anything more than that. You don't need to kill yourself. The other thing people always ask me is what is the best, especially the ladies, what is the best exercise for weight loss? Yeah. <laughs> and I will say that if you want to exercise for weight loss, the best thing you could do for yourself is buy a Sweat 1000 package when the gyms reopen. Mm. It is the most sweaty, kick your butt fun you'll ever have, but you will definitely lose weight because they <laughs> are hardcore, those dudes, but it's such fun. <laughs> um, and I, I think that's what I love about fitness is that there is such an amazing community around it. Um, if you go to a small gym or a yoga studio, people all support you. You know, everyone knows who everyone else is. Yes. And they check on how you're doing. And, you know, that amazing community is what I loved about being part of Women's Health. And it's mm. what we wanted to create at Fit Not Out as well. That there mm. is no perfect body size. That it's not about being skinny. It's about oh. being strong and feeling confident. And if mm. exercise makes you feel like that, then that's the one that you should go for. Um, the other tips for me, um, I try not to have too much sugar. So I yeah. don't add have refined sugar. I don't add sugar to anything. I don't really eat I don't know, chocolates or cakes and sweets. I know some people have now just dropped the call because who wants to know that person that doesn't <laughs> eat chocolates? Um, and um, I do drink wine, though. And mm. um, and I've also kind of swapped out quite a lot of dairy because I love, love, love having coffee um, not made by myself. I like ordering a delicious flat white or something in the morning, first thing in the morning when I got to work. It was part of the ritual. And um, the Vida at our local office used to call myself and my two colleagues normal almond and soya because they only knew our coffee milk orders and not our names. Um, and I was normal for years, but I am now almond as well. <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> that's about, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's my, my wellness hacks. I, I am, I am uh, curious, you know, so which are your, your favorite restaurants um, to go to? Both, I guess, actually, you know, let's, let's talk about Cape Town, but, you know, just to bring it home. For I'll both. give you one of each. I will. <laughs> I, just to bring it home for you and me, we must also talk about Joburg as well. <laughs> so my favorite restaurants, um, I mean, I do love, I love Mexican food and I love tapas. And I mm. think I love them both for the same reason. I think partly they're a great treat meal out, but there is still a lot of healthy options. They're not particularly kind of deep fried, stodgy sort of meals. So in Cape Town, there's... Um, there's El Burro, which is an yes. amazing Mexican restaurant. There's one in Greenpoint, and there's a little taqueria that's close to my house. So there are lots of vegan and um, non-meat options, if that was, if you were so inclined. There are lots of gluten-free options because the tortillas are all corn. Um, mm. There's loads of fishy things and stuff like that. So there's a lot of variety, but all really healthy. And they make a killer margarita, which, of course, just brings me endless joy. 
And then in Joburg, I'd have to say um, my favorite restaurant in Joburg is probably La Boqueria, which is I... in Parktown North. It's an amazing Spanish tapas. Same thing. Like you can get lots of delicious things. It all feels indulgent, but it's healthy. Like they do these amazing bowls of olives that I could actually just weep for. That would be the joy that I have when travel reopens and I get to come to Joburg for a reason. <laughs> I love that. I I remember, I think Oguro is, um, they used to, I think, I'm not sure if it's still there, but there used to be one in, um, what's this place called? In uh, Newlands, actually. I think there was one in Newlands. Oh, there could be one in Newlands. Yeah. I think there used to be one in Newlands next, next to my favorite ice cream place, which I was frequently seen in. The ice cream. <laughs> I was frequently seen in in there a couple of times. <laughs> so <it's> like, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so I I wanted I wanted to chat a little bit about um, the changes in the magazine world um, in 2020, right? So mm-hmm. 2020 has been <laughs> yeah that year estimated <laughs> yes it's been insane and you know already i think um you know the world of print media um was already you know taking a bit of strain pre the the pandemic so i actually you know want to exclude the the current situation out of that i actually mm-hmm. want to agree about, you know before before the pandemic already Print media was, you know, we, we saw a number of print media houses starting to close down um, and all of that. So already there was that bit of strain. Um, I want to understand from you, you know, how have you had to adapt over the years? Um, you know, perhaps if it's a shift to digital or if it's if it's mm-hmm. the, you know, reinventing print. It's actually funny because there are currently in this situation right now there are actually magazines which are launching right in print as well so like you know it's not always you know doom and gloom but i'm actually quite curious taking the current situation out of things you know how have you had to adapt um to you know over the years so i think for us i mean my answer has always to that question for quite a long time now. So excuse my fingers there while I hug that in. Um, my my answer to that has always been that print was never it it was never bound to survive forever. The mm. the brands that were going to make it were the the media brands that allowed the opportunity to to for you to experience their content on many different platforms. So yes, wonderful that you get to have a beautiful magazine on shelf. But you also need to have a thriving community on digital platforms. So across Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and even Pinterest and some brands obviously already on um, TikTok and platforms like that. So to be able to engage with readers, it's still content. You're just publishing it on a different platform. Mm. Um, and I think for us as as media brands, we've had to be really cognizant of that and kind of figuring out where our content lives best. So you're creating a piece of content. Is this a piece that's going to be going into print? Is it small or big? Is it, does it need a photo shoot? Does it need a video? Um, is it just a simple caption? Is it something that can be stripped into something much bigger and turned into like a massive big pay gate or a bookazine? Mm-hmm. I think that's, that really has been the, the journey that traditional magazine media has been on certainly over the last almost I mean close to 10 years probably but never more so felt than right now when suddenly for the first time ever 
people were not actually able to get to stores where they could even pick up something that was a hard copy on shelf. Um, the interesting thing with, with lifestyle media, and I guess with all media, is the fact that, that people still want content. They, you often get, one often gets quoted around those stats about print dying and print being dead. The reality is people still desperately want content. And in an age of fake news, they are looking for reputable, expert-led content even more so than ever because they've learned, savvy readers have also learned that it's very easy to dupe them if they don't know the source of mm. their information. So I think that, yes, a lot has changed, but a lot is also solidified for media brands that, um, that know what they're doing. Yeah. I yeah. don't think print will, you know, the fact is what this pandemic has done, and I know you said don't talk about it in the context of this year, but I think that what it has done for many different industries is it's brought five-year plans forward to right now. So things that maybe were on a slow decline, like, for example, prints, and the fact is that we would have shifted out of prints and into other media probably um, without there ever really being much, or certainly maybe not a, a monthly print magazine, but something quarterly or a shift completely into digital or whatever it might have been. Um, those things are now happening right now. Um, yeah. And that's across many industries, not just um, not just print media. And so, I mean, how how do you see this playing out, right? Um you know, is there is there a space, you know, for digital media to be consumed in the same way as print media? So I'm talking now magazine, flip, flip, you know, um, yeah. now swipe, I mean, swipe. PDF of a mag, yeah. You know, a PDF of a magazine is never the same experience, right? Yeah. But the yeah. joy of a magazine, and I, I mean, I sound like, I'm going to sound like such a pain in the ass now. <laughs> But 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 back in the old days, um, mm. as a as a as a band or a musician, you would release an entire album, and if somebody yeah. wanted to listen to your song, they would have to buy the whole album I, and experience yes. every bit of what you put together. They wouldn't just get the song, which now obviously the way that streaming services work, you get the song. You don't necessarily need to get the entire album and hear the whole story. Mm. Magazines are a little bit like that in that way. It's a curation of content meant to serve you and complement each other. So on digital, yes, you can get the stories. You can get the stories in exactly the same way. It'll be, mm. You can get the, the exact same content, like to the same degree that you would find in a mag. The difference is the packaging. Um, mm. And what magazines allowed you to do was to somebody else curated a really beautiful, well-thought-out package for you. So it's not that the information would be any different if it moved to a digital platform. It's just the experience is different because the curation is not there. So, so do you see a shift more being towards, um, you know, building respective brands, right? So, you know, and that manifests sure. both in, in print rather as opposed to say, okay, we're binning print now, right? <laughs> because there still, I think, is a space for print, I think right? It, Aside from I global... I think there is a space for print, yeah. So aside I from global... That... Him, like it, it's not yeah, exactly aside from that small thing i think yeah. there is, whether they i don't know that there is there will necessarily in the long term be a space for print magazines as we know them as monthlies mm. i think that we will see a shift to very different frequencies where you'll get beautiful print magazines that will feel that will be more expensive and um that will come out less frequently and yes. i think that there is going to be a big shift out of 
mass market print titles, including things like the kind of stuff we do into more niche health and wellness titles, more niche in all different ways. And I think mm -hmm. that that indie magazine scene is where you're going to see new titles coming into the fore. And they're not going to be the big, all-dominating titles that you, you once had on the playing in the global arena. Yes. I think the days of those big hold or massive titles and international licenses and um, things like that are are definitely that sort of those glory days of print, I think, are pretty much behind us. Mm. Um, but what you will see coming in play is indie titles, smaller niche titles and, and beautiful sort of quarterlies, bi-monthlies. Um, those kind of magazines will also be looking mm. at. So pr I think frequency more than anything is what's going to what's going to change. So the so, shelves will look very different. Yes, yeah, that's so interesting. What what advice would you have to somebody who, you know, said, Danielle, I want to launch a magazine right now. Um, and I know he said, I know he said that <laughs> not going to talk about the current situation. Right? He's just going to pretend that, um, you know, but let's. It's not let, happening. Yeah, no, let's, let's, let's now, you know, unfortunately accept the current reality. Um, Somebody who, you know, like yourself, wanted to, when you launched Grazia, you know, wants to launch something now um, in the current situation. Should they press on? Should they stay put? Oh, my gosh. My, my answer would probably be the same no matter when you'd ask me, and it was have lots of money. Lots <laughs> of money. <laughs> I think magazine publishing is relentless because of your frequency. So if you don't make the money that you need to make on that issue, you still need to be getting the next issue out. Yes. You get yourself into a hole in terms of your profit and loss really quickly mm. if you're not careful. So actually, magazine publishing is, is a business. And I think that because magazines are such a beautiful creative space, it's often not how people immediately perceive them. They think of them as beautiful creative spaces for content and photography and design and they are all of those things but they also need to be run like a very smart business mm. um, so my mm. answer would be by all means but keep your costs low and keep your interests niche yeah. um, and know that there is an appetite within that audience for that type of content mm. I love that I love that Danielle as, as a final question um I have a question from one of one of our listeners who um you know says I'm a massive fan of Danielle. Um, you know, so I wanna Excellent. ask <laughs> I, I wanna ask her, how does she stay creative? So I guess again we're gonna have to talk outside of the pandemic because hmm. I find it very, very difficult this year to to be I have really found it difficult to be creative in twenty twenty. I can't yeah. believe I started this year calling it 20 plenty. I mean, what a joke. <laughs> There's been absolutely nothing freaking plenty about this year at all. Um, but anyway, I think outside of the glory of 20 plenty, uh, the way that I like to stay creative is to surround myself with smart people who challenge me and who also challenge my opinion. Mm. And I like to be inspired by I read, and I'm still a voracious reader of everything from fiction to other magazines to digital spaces and blogs and Instagram. I'm a massive consumer of content still, and I find that very inspiring. 
Um, I used to, back in the olden days, find travel very inspiring. I love nothing more than being in a new place and being able to, I found a lot of my own creativity stimulated by being outside of my normal circumstances, so traveling in any way. Um, and I loved tapping into interesting people and hearing people speak. Um, I, I still find that extremely interesting. And I think that has been a great plus of this global lockdown is being able to to virtually hear and tap into seminars or webinars or Insta live chats or whatever it might be with people mm. that you otherwise ordinarily wouldn't have access to, or you'd have to pay an extraordinary amount of money yeah. to be able to go to an international conference or something like that. So I, I love listening to smart people, whether they're within my own team or organization or conferences and things, I find them very inspiring. Mm. And I find um, I still consume a huge amount of content across the whole gamut. And that for me is how I try and stay creatively motivated. But creativity is a democracy. You know, for me, it's a democracy. Mm. Uh, creativity feeds on other people. It's not, it's not a one man show. Um, I'm at my best when I have a team and I can put out ideas and we can thrash them out together. Mm. Mm. I absolutely love that. Danielle, this has been a fantastic chat. <laughs> Ease that you know we've like that's just happened like that was so good breeze <laughs> so i want to i just want to thank you so much for um for coming onto the platform um for it's being such a, a pleasure the show um i thoroughly enjoyed our chats i i i i thoroughly enjoyed picking your your mind on on certain topics i think <laughs> there's so much more that you know we we could talk about you know we we sort of touched on here and there on, on some of the initiatives that you're up to, but I really, you know, I think sometime in the future on, on this platform, this platform is not going away. Um, this platform is here to, to stay for the long term. I'd love to have you back on the show um, once again I would to, love to discuss. So I just want to thank you so much for inspiring us. It's and such a pleasure. It, it's, and I think this has been a, a wonderful chat, and I hope that you've also enjoyed it as well. I did. Thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute honor to be part of this convo. I really enjoyed it. No, awesome. Danielle, thank you so much. Um, until we until we see you back on the show again, um, please do keep well, keep safe, and stay healthy. Thank you. And you too. Cheers, Tava. Thank you. Bye. Thank you very much for tuning in and listening to the episode. I hope that you were impacted positively and that you found substance and significance whilst listening to the episode. Head over to the Impactful Conversations website at impactfulconversations.co.za to find out more about the show. To stay up to date with the latest episodes, please subscribe to the podcast and give it a five-star rating. You can also check out and subscribe to my episodes in video format on the Impactful Conversations YouTube channel. Just head over to YouTube and search Impactful Conversations. Thank you to all who have listened in and subscribed. Why not share the episode with a family member or a friend who you think could be positively impacted? Anyway, until the next episode, bye-bye, stay safe, stay healthy, and wash your hands.